Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Ket French fo- uh, to the GFFN Euro Show. <laughs> I'm your host Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are French football journalist Jonathan Johnson, Goal.com's Mohamed Ali, and GFFN writers Eric Devin and Philippe Bargil. We are nearing the end of the group stages as the tournament shifts into high gear. But who will make it out of them? Who will head home? And who will make their path to the final? A trial of tribulations. We will look at that and more after the latest news. France have qualified top of Group A after a 0-0 draw against Switzerland on Sunday evening. A 2-0 win earlier in the week against Albania sees Le Bleu finish first with seven points and will face one of the third-place teams from Group C, D or E. The Swiss finished second with that point, while Albania beat Romania 1-0 in their final game to record their first ever goal and first victory in a major tournament. That also keeps alive their slim hopes of making the final 16 as one of the best third-place teams. Wales finished first in Group B after a stunning 3-0 victory against Russia that saw their opponents finish bottom, while England were held to a 0-0 draw against Slovakia, ensuring Roy Hodgson's men qualify in second, while the Slovakians hold a strong chance of a third spot with their tally of four points. Germany managed another solid win to finish top of Group C a moment ago as they dispatched Northern Ireland 1-0, a result that could still see Michael O'Neill's side's men into the next round as a best third place. In the other game, Poland sealed their second place by beating Ukraine 1-0, thanks to a Jakub Blazikowski goal in the second half. Group D will close just after this podcast is recorded, but the second round of fixtures were marred with Croatian fans throwing flares on the pitch in protest of the nation's reportedly big corrupt FA. The match ended with the Czech Republic pulling off an unlikely to uh, come back to draw 2-2. And in the other match, Spain dominated Turkey in a 3-0 route, seeing them through to the next round, and a point later on will ensure top spot. Italy maintained their 100% record with a 1-0 win over Sweden thanks to a wonderful goal from Inter Milan forward Eder, while Belgium returned to form with a strong 3-0 win against the Republic of Ireland. A double from Romelu Lukaku, either side of an Axel Witzel header, helped them pick up the three points, while Martin O'Neill's men need a result against the Azuri to stand any chance of qualification. Portugal were left frustrated in their nil-nil draw against Austria in Group F. Cristiano Ronaldo hit the post with a penalty late on as his side's search for their first win runs on. In the other game, Hungary scored late on to break Iceland's hearts, meaning the group is still wide open heading into their final fixtures tomorrow evening. And finally, in breaking news, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has announced that he will retire at the end of this tournament. Sweden will face Belgium in their final game and that may be his final time in a yellow shirt and there are your headlines but to keep up to date with all the latest head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com follow us on Twitter at GFFN and our dedicated Euro handle on there at GFFN Euro 2016 we start this week with Les Bleus, who qualified for the knockout stages in slightly unconvincing fashion. A late 2-0 win over a plucky Albania saw them get off the hook earlier this week before a timid display against Switzerland saw them crawl over the line. Let's start with that game in Marseille first, then, Jonathan, against Albania. It took France a very long time to break down their defences, didn't it? Is Jonathan still there? I'll, I'll I'll move that one on to Mo then. Mo <laughs> Mo um, is is that it was a it was a dogged display, admittedly, from Albania, but it took France such a long time to break them down, didn't it? Yeah, it took them um, such a, such a while that do you, you would have thought that France weren't even going to score score a goal uh, throughout the game and you know peter out to a nil nil draw. But you know I think credit 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 to the Albanians for playing such such an organised game. Um, and it's probably the first indication that France are perhaps not the you know outright favourites that everybody seemed to have them down as uh, before the Euros began. I mean, you know the the um, substitute uh, well the uh, the 
fact that Pogba and Griezmann did not play up until the late into the second half, um, and the tinkering uh, from Deschamps meant that you know I, I don't think he's quite sure exactly how to approach the game, um, and he's trying out a couple of different options, but. You know, at the end of the day, this on paper, this should have been a comfortable victory against what we thought would be the weakest side in the group. Um, and, and France really, really struggled. The, um, don't let the two very late goals mask, um, mask any of that. Philip, they decided to rest a couple of players for that game. And admittedly, when Griezmann came on and scored the goal, they looked a little bit more adventurous and a bit more striking. But... It took a hell of a long time to get there for against a team that, yes, have been solid defensively in, in the first game and shown it again against Romania, but uh, it was too much work for a team of that quality, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the um, the major talking point, of course, is, uh, is uh, as usual, um, when a uh, side with uh, lesser players uh, try achieve to nullify a team like, uh, like France, who... Uh, have one of the most talented squads in the Euros is uh, is tactical. So Deschamps, for no particular reason, went to a 4-2-3-1 instead of a, his usual 4-3-3. And uh, you can, I mean, people went um, went berserk with uh, with that change of formation in such an important game. But uh, with hindsight, you can you can really understand him doing that in that game because um, we know it, it doesn't work because uh, Matuidi is pretty much useless in that type of formation. And Matuidi is actually quite limited in in the formations he can play. So that would be on the left-hand side of a 4-3-3. Um, and it took Deschamps, of course, half, uh, a whole half to uh, change the formation uh, because he still tried to to try and you know say, no, I want, I want to play it, play it that way, even if it's not working, a bit a la uh, Laurent Blanc at Manchester City. Uh, but he did, he did change it. And... You know, surprise, surprise, when we were playing a 4-3-3, we were playing much better. Matuidi was seeing more of the ball. He was able to go forward a bit more. Uh, Conte was, uh, I thought, had a better influence on the game. He got a very good mark on, on the keeper. Probably, he got a 7 out of 10. Probably probably a bit more than, than he deserves, in, in my opinion. But uh, he he was one of our one of our best players. And then the chances came. Because in the first half, it was extremely uh, frustrating. Because... We played on the wings, but uh, Albania were playing uh, five with a uh, with a, a back five basically. Um, especially when we were attacking from uh, the left hand side. This is one one of my major concerns uh, with us attacking. It really looks looked against Albania purely based on the left hand side. So ever had a great game going forward, Sanya was absolutely nowhere to be seen. And if you basically focus on defending on our left flank. You're basically nullifying us going forward, which is really a major worry. But in the end, Rami, as uh, who uh, never never would have been picked by basically the whole nation, uh, puts in a great cross. Griezmann um, puts in the puts in the header, and uh, then the second goal comes uh, fairly um, fairly uh, quickly after that. And it's two nil. It doesn't look that um, you know that uh, that bad. But uh, really, it's the, the Albanian coach who uh, who is Italian, I think. I think he's got uh, Italian roots, and he, he really played technically extremely well. Um, and uh, it's from uh, from the stroke of luck that uh, we managed to beat them. Eric, what was France's problem in that first half, especially where they really couldn't break down such a, an organised defence? Well, I think you know it it, it really it comes to do with. Uh, a lack of a lack of creativity. Without Pogba on the pitch, there's not Paye really functions as the sole creative conduit. I mean, Martial, Coman, uh, Giroud are all fantastic players, but uh, as Philip rightly said, you know, without without enough uh, attack from the fullbacks, and again, Everett did have a decent decent match, mm-hmm. um, but without that support, there's really not a creative fulcrum around the for which, around the team to function. And you've got a lot of players who are you know willing to give energy, and Coman can put in the odd cross, but there's not somebody who can uh, take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and create something on a dime besides Paye uh, on the pitch at that time. Now, that being said, I know Deschamps has taken a lot of flack, but I honestly do see the logic to why he opted to go for a 4-2-3-1. Uh, you know, Matuidi, it seemed off the pace a little bit tired, and for me, playing him in a 4-2-3-1, even though it's not his normal role, 
uh, it does allow him to not have to run quite as much. Um, we've seen in the past that Marshall's a, a willing worker and, and can, can do well to protect Avra uh, when necessary, which lessens some of the pressure on Matuidi defensively. Also in a 4-2-3-1, he's not being tasked with facilitating the offense and being an extra runner going forward as much. So in that, in that regard, um, Deschamps trying to keep him on the pitch, keep his confidence high, uh, but also not, not tax him uh, to the level that he, he normally is for club and country. Um, so two things going on there, but I, I think just the lack of, of, of a creative source uh, beyond Pae on the pitch really, really limited France. And, you know, and we've seen, you know, if you have one superb player, uh, it can be easy enough to shut a team down, and I think that's frankly, frankly what happened. The Pae's was magnificent throughout, but you know, without um, without other options, uh, France really struggled. Let's move on to that game at the weekend, um, Mo, against Switzerland. It wasn't the best of games, let's be honest at all. But why did why did France struggle so much to really create anything meaningful in that game? Um, I think it's more to do with the opposition rather than um, rather than uh, the, the tactics that France put out. I mean, Switzerland were also pretty. You know they were pretty determined to to get the result that would see them qualify as well. And when you when you play like like England saw last time, when you play against certain teams that have stated aims and the way they're going to set themselves up, it's, it can be really really difficult to break them down. And you have to be really really patient to build. I mean France did have a couple of good chances. You know Pogba back into the lineup um, where he he I think he had a pretty pretty good first half. You know very creative and had a couple of chances. One that should have gone in that clattered off the bar. Um, it's It can be very frustrating to play against sides that are very resilient and very organised. Um, and I think, you know, the Switzerland result was actually less concerning than the Albania result for me because it is the final group game. France already know what they need to do. They've already qualified. Uh, it's more of a test of, you know, ensuring that you do have um, the quality uh, to... Uh, you know, to prepare for later clashes, they, you know, the round of 16 and so on and so forth. And against the Switzerland side, who I think offered, you know, didn't offer very much, they, they, they showed quite a lot in the first half and glimpses in the second half, and they were just lacking the goal. Um, and so I think they've moved actually in a step in the right direction a little bit. Um, but obviously there's, there's still more work to do, and they've got such a long break until um, the, the round of 16 clash on Sunday. And it'll be interesting to see if Deschamps goes with the trying and tested for uh, you know four three three formation eleven players that he's got. Considering that France arguably did have probably aside from Portugal the weakest opponents um, in the group, and you know obviously that's a benefit that's afforded to the host nation. And they haven't really you know Pia aside, they haven't really um, done you know amazingly well. Um, but they've got through, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how they set up and how they work. Within the next couple of days, and see, you know, you know, if they do face in England, if they do face, you know, Germany along the line, how how they'll set up. So we're being a bit overly harsh with how how France uh, how France played. I thought I thought we played quite well, and uh, I wasn't really expecting us to uh, attack the Swiss for 90 minutes mm. because we knew that a draw was going to be enough to land us first spot, which 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 was the objective. This was reminiscent from the word go of the uh, third group game. In uh, in Brazil against Ecuador, where we drew nil nil, and I reckon we tried even less back then two years ago than we did uh, on uh, on Sunday, where we had a great first half. Pogba really really wanted to do well. He really wanted to score that goal. He didn't. That's uh, that's a shame for for him. Uh, but I thought I was I thought it was okay. And nil nil at halftime, Deschamps must have said to his players, okay, well if it's nil nil after it uh, in uh, in another three quarters of an hour, it's not the end of the world. So, you know, don't take uh, too much risk. Don't do anything stupid at the back. And uh, we'll try and nick a goal if we can. But if we can't, you know, it's not going to change anything. So, yeah, sure, Payet shot could have gone in. But uh, it's not, uh, it, really, it really is not, uh, not that, not that uh, shall we say, uh, a, bad, a bad performance or a bad tactic. I thought, uh, cast, I our, cast our minds back, though, to the World Cup in 2014, that draw against Ecuador, you know, that really destroyed all the momentum that France had built up in those first two group games. I mean, that, mm. I, I can't remember exactly who was left in the starting 11, but I remember certain key players were left in so that they could keep their form going. Benzema was one of them. 
didn't perform in that game. I mean, the, you know, it was, it was a pretty poor performance. But even even if France had already advanced from the group at that stage, uh, but they never really got that momentum back afterwards against Nigeria. Certainly against Germany, you know, they weren't looking as good as they did in those first two um, group games. And you know, that's the concern now. I think, uh, you know, has has Deschamps. Well, actually, I would say has Deschamps disturbed, uh, you know, the formula he'd had, the winning formula he'd had at the beginning of the group stage here, but there is no winning formula because the teams were, you know, complete, well, not completely they were the different, same, but yeah. they, were, they were different in both of those two games. So I think the biggest problem, uh, you know, and the person who was really under the most pressure going into the Switzerland game was Deschamps, and we still don't know if he has a strongest 11 in his mind. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. But if you're Deschamps, what do you do in the second half in that dressing room against Switzerland, where we actually play quite well, and uh, it's nil-nil, and uh, you have to uh, you have to risk uh, conceding a goal and conceding top spot? I, I I I reckon. I mean, I can understand why he did it, but uh, I can also understand that we we are probably going to meet a very negative side in the second uh, in the first knockout stage. Sorry. On um, that's uh, on another on another Sunday, so playing seven, seven days later, that's pretty good. Um, and so, you know, in terms of in terms of momentum, well, um, contrary to World Cup 2014, we didn't really have uh, that kind of momentum. We were just saved by some uh, some uh, wonderful goal for the first first game, and uh, a lucky break, a lucky header in the second game. So. To, to me, it doesn't really change anything. Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we'll we will struggle to score against. Uh, I reckon it's going to be Northern Ireland against Northern Ireland on uh, on Sunday. It'll probably be a one one or two goal thing. Eric, let's talk about the positives from that Switzerland game because there were there was a few little positives in the end. Um, the performances of the likes of Kabay and, and Sissoko who impressed coming off um, not yeah. starting the other two games. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that, you know, of, of the, the three midfields we've seen so far, I thought that this one looked uh, the most impressive and the most fluid. Uh, I was doing the match uh, the match coverage on our match zone, and uh, I was taking quite a bit of flack for <laughs> the positive notices I was giving to Soko and Kabai, but I think they really performed well. I mean, Kabai in particular made some really impressive tackles. She lived that back four really well, uh, showed, you know, Showed some good pace and energy. Uh, his range of passing wasn't what it usually is, but um, asked to perform in, in a more strictly defensive role, I think he did really well. Um, and Sissoko was tremendous as well. I mean, basically, he was asked to do the role that Matuidi usually does on the left side of the, the, mm. that midfield, uh, but on the right so Pogba could play in a more natural position. He he did fantastically well. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's a case to be made for um, obviously bringing Kante in for Kabaye, uh, for a, a more similar midfield to, to to play going forward, I think that Sissoko uh, versus Matuidi uh, isn't doesn't seem to be as tired. I think he's better with the ball at his feet, um, and I, I think you know if he's willing to to put in the work uh, to play in a, a more defensively oriented role that he does with his club, um, I think he may have earned himself a chance to start in the next round. Frankly, I think that uh, you know again not scoring is frustrating, but I think a lot of that's down to down to positioning. Uh, I think the, the the midfield in particular was was really impressive, and uh, the defense, the center backs, you know, had a couple nervy moments, uh, maybe some unnecessary bookings there, but um, I think that that's starting to be sorted out as well. Um, I think that there could have been a little bit more going forward from the back four, but I think that this is probably their most impressive performance um, defensively as well. So, but yeah, um, I think that you know, again, the attack still looked a little bit muddled aside from Pogba, but uh, in general, I don't think this is too bad a result um, for France, especially given the pressure that Switzerland were were applying. And the, big, the, the big question is, uh, I mean, what what does Deschamps do uh, on on Sunday? Uh, I don't, I don't really know what to uh, uh, what to think because Sissoko and Kabai and Pogba played very very well. So what does he do? Does he drop Matuidi or does he uh, does he stick with the with the Swiss with the Swiss team? Or does he um, does he keep Matuidi on the side and uh, where he has to be played, so in a four-three-three and on the left-hand side? I, I read also a, a statistic which, which was pretty good that uh, Griezmann has an unbelievable goal-scoring record for us, uh, coming on as a sub. And quite frankly, I wouldn't mind him uh, starting on the bench against uh, against whoever we play on Sunday, because uh, his his stats are, are quite uh, quite unbelievable. And when, 
uh, each time he starts, he doesn't. He seems a bit. Uh, he seems to be trying things and not not always achieving them, and it seems to be extremely frustrating. So I would actually start combing over him uh, if if I were Deschamps. I don't know about you guys. Well, it's an interesting point, and I was going to say to you, Mo, about uh, Deschamps' choices really going into that game with with the amount of rotation he's done. Has that? Do you think that rotation has affected the team so far in this tournament? They've had a three different starting lineups in three games. Um, I, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think it affects it affects the players. Um, and I don't think you know maybe probably because you know this team has really chopped and changed so much over the past month and a half. You know, considering the, the initial twenty-three that everyone thought that would be going to the Euros. Um, and so you kind of expect that Deschamps would be kind of rotating his side. He's got a lot of uh, really good options. Um, if it's not going to be certain formations, you've got you know like the likes of Mar- Martial and Coleman, who who are you know very very creative, very talented youngsters. Um, and it's actually also quite surprising that the defense hasn't been changed either. That it's been quite. Uh, Quite simple to pick uh, pick from. I think uh, I think I think the question with the defence though before the tournament was that you know Deschamps absolutely had to identify someone that could replace Varane. So really, mm. once he plumped for Rami, he had to stick with that back four. I think, and that's why it made sense to me to start you know that sort of defensive five when you include Loris as, as keeper as mm. well for those three group games. I'm also, but you know, given given the opposition that the uh, level of opposition they were to face, you know, maybe um, you know. Kind of altering, altering um, uh, the team, seeing his options. You know, he's 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 at, he's he's gone completely. Uh, he's not touching the defense uh, one bit. But it would have been good to see, you know, the same level of rotation maybe seen around uh, the entire squad, perhaps uh, for the for the, especially maybe for the Albania game and uh, even the Switzerland game. But going into the the last sixteen, I I don't I don't think he will change, and I think that. The the fact that he's tinkered this, you know, he's, he's tinkered a little bit and he's rotated would actually give, um, you know, some players the impetus maybe to perform, knowing that you know this could be the only chance that they have. Maybe you know they do have only one or two chances in order to make an impact. And the fact that you know what you've had, I don't know, fifteen, shall we say, fifteen, sixteen players that have featured for France um, so far in the at the Euros, um, it, it, it will be a boost to the squad. And I know that some players will now, you know, especially Coleman and, and Marcel, who I think could ha- do have a start left in them um, before we get to the, you know, the really late stages of the tournament. It could only be beneficial. And, and two words, just just a quick one on Marcel and how how absolutely uh, rubbish he 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 was. Um, and and the other the other part was uh, what I wanted to mention is that Rami and Koscielny are now on a booking. They were both picked mm. up against Switzerland, and if if they do get another one against uh, whoever we play on Sunday, I'm really annoyed at this format. It's, it's uh, you know we should we really should know by now who we're playing. But anyway. Um, uh, I have so to say I think it was a bit harsh the uh, the yellow card on Rami. Yeah. And I see why it was given. No, no, no. But I think it was. I don't particularly necessary. recall it. Yeah, uh, uh, high yeah, foot, high foot. the high foot. By the way, yeah, yeah, there was nothing on that. Actually, yeah. yeah, I mean, he went for the ball, so yeah, I, w- I probably wouldn't have uh, given a yellow card myself. Yeah, but uh, but the thing is, if if they do get a booking, uh, they're suspended for the quarterfinal, mm-hmm. and we have to to put in uh, Umtuti or someone. That's certainly quarterfinal. Yeah, which is that's big. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a big factor. So and that's probably if, England as well. This is where it brings it back to the friendlies, though, because in the, in the friendlies before the tournament started, Deschamps should have at least given him TT, you know, a, a substitute appearance or something, you know, so he would potentially get. Well, I, if for me, he would have started against uh, against Cameroon or Scotland, mm. you know, one of the yeah. two at least. But mm. you know, he's now potentially going to be thrown into one of these games at the deep end. Uh, yeah, exactly. Having never set foot on the pitch as a, as a senior international before, which is crazy. He'll probably do very well, but you know. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> no, I mean, I like him. I think, and I rate him. It's, uh, I think it's, I think it's fine. But I think it's a, it's a massive, it's a massive risk. And maybe Deschamps should have given uh, Umtiti or uh, some kind of uh, experience in that game against Switzerland, and maybe even starting him. But actually, on on the, on the same on the same level, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded actually Steve Mondunda starting in Switzerland, but that's maybe a stretch. 
yeah, it, well, there's plenty of options you can always look at back in hindsight. But just to mm. look at this conversation, we've mentioned already Griezmann's record off the bench. But looking at how he's played in the last two games, Eric, he's he scored his goal against Albania from a central position. His most exciting place movement and and moments on the ball against Switzerland were from a central position. Giroud and and um, Gignac haven't necessarily nailed down that position. Might be the a temptation to play him up top in front on his own Griezmann? It seems like he wants to do that on anyway. I thought that uh, Griezmann, frankly, did not play very well against Switzerland. I think that, um, you know, France at their best have used a, a fairly dynamic front three, uh, but that's generally been Benzema uh, in the recent past. But without Benzema, uh, the striker doesn't necessarily move, move as much. Gignac and Giroud are more static players in terms of moving wide and pulling defenders about with them. And Griezmann seems to fail to recognize that. Normally, he's able to drift infield as as Benzema drifts out. But I think without Benzema there, he's he's still trying to, to operate in the same way and doesn't have much cognition. Uh, he didn't do much to stretch the pitch in terms of in terms of creating space in wide areas. That was left to Coman, who I thought ran ran a lot and, and tried very hard. Ended up having to frankly provide width on both sides by by switching flanks whereas Griezmann just took up central positions. Um, so I, I do think, yes, that going forward, uh, playing Griezmann centrally does make the most sense, whether he starts or is a substitute, because it, it just seems to me he, he's not willing to play uh, in a wide area in this in this 4-3-3. I mean, he's, he's played wide on occasion for Atletico, but uh, I think with France, he, he wants to take up that central role that he's, he's so used to doing, and he doesn't seem like he's willing to do that. I don't know if that's pride on his part. I don't know if that's just a general lack of cognition, or he's just too used to doing it from uh, the recent past with Atletico. Um, but it's it's a little bit frustrating to see. I think that France would have had a little bit more joy going forward uh, had he been more committed to to going to playing wide. I mean, let's face it, France got next to nothing going forward from the fullbacks uh, on Sunday, and if they had had a little bit more space uh, in, in wide areas, I think they could have uh, troubled Rodriguez and Alexander a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, I think if Riesman's going to be a starter, he, it's got to be in a central area. And, you know, when that, whether that's Coman and Paye on the wings or maybe Marshall takes the, the place of Coman, I don't know. But I, I think that, yeah, Griezmann needs to play centrally if, if he's going to be used uh, by Deschamps. I agree with that. I think he's, you know, too used to it at the moment from playing that way with uh, with Atletico in the season that's just gone. Uh, I actually think that the key for France moving forward now is that Deschamps has to look at the players who only seem to perform, uh, you know, in the in the positions that they, uh, you know, seem to favour on the pitch, and that would be Griezmann, Pogba, and uh, and Payet. I mean, I'm I'm not criticising Payet saying he hasn't turned up in the tournament. Of course he has. You know, he scored two excellent goals, uh, and you know, I I just think for him he's much better in that number ten playmaker role than he is uh, out wide. You know, I think he contributes more over the 90 minutes when he's uh, more involved centrally. Uh, and I think the Pogba, you know, he seemed to come alive playing in that left central midfield berth uh, as opposed to his performances on the right on the right side of that. So if we bear in mind that you know Griezmann should probably play through the middle, uh, that Pogba should occupy that that left central midfield berth, and uh, and and Pae should be playing sort of in that attacking midfield role or as close to, you know, that sort of number 10 role just behind the striker as possible. I think that Deschamps easily either has to deploy them in those roles in that uh, 4-2-3-1 or go with a, a, you know, a midfield of Conte, Pogba and, uh, and Paye uh, and then go with Griezmann uh, through the middle up top. But I think either way, uh, you know, you're probably looking at Coman and uh, Martial being given a start against whoever France come up against next. So I, I just wanted a quick, a quick point here on Paye. Were any of the rest of you troubled by the way he played on Sunday? It seemed to me that he was only looking for his own shot and not to try and be a creative force. And I think that, yes, he's confident about the way he's the goals he's scored, but I feel like creativity for his ability to create for others, I think, is is also important going forward. And I think that he didn't seem to demonstrate enough of that for me on Sunday. Well, I was a bit tipsy, but I do, yeah, I do agree on on the on 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 the whole on the whole. I didn't think he had a he, he had a very good team game, uh, basically, but uh, he didn't have much time, and uh, people will always remember his shot on the bar and had it gone in, you know, viva viva Paye. But and yeah, I do, I do, it, it is the impression I got. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point. And, but I think I think as well that Payet was, if I, if I remember, it was a late change to the team that Payet was dropped out. There was a bit of confusion as to whether Sanyo or Jale was going to start, but Payet was was supposedly going to start, and then Deschamps changed his mind. So perhaps there was a bit of pressure on Payet to you know to try and perform to, uh, you know, to try and show Deschamps that he shouldn't have been uh, you know rested or preserved, uh, should we say? But I really don't think I mean we, we, that we should play one with one midfielder down the middle. I think uh, Albania proved it that. Well, I, I'm really not a fan of 4-2-3-1. I, I think I think it's on its course and that people know how to play against, especially if we uh, if we come against the likes of Northern Ireland. If Payet does play in that number 10 position or, or Griezmann, uh, he'll just have two defensive mid midfielders on him, and I think he'll be notified. And, and this is why I reckon we played better in the second half against Albania and the game against Switzerland than we did in the first half against Albania, because we we had we had our usual formation. But it you know it happened to other sides, and you know. Not, uh, I'm not criticising Dishon for trying something new, but I just don't think he should ever do that. He he shouldn't play that formation in this tournament, at least. But at least there's plenty of options for Deschamps going forward, and it's not a bad thing for a manager to have at this point in the stadium, even if no one's necessarily playing at the top of their level. But there's there's plenty of other things already finished in a couple of groups now in the European Championships, and we'll finish by talk. We'll start with them. Um, the other teams in Group A, and Mo Switzerland played relatively well in times against France, and while they struggled against Romania and stole a draw against Albania, they were, they aren't necessarily the kind of side you want to face in the next round, are they? Oh, um, well, it, it depends who they'll face. Um, I I'm not I'm not really a big fan of Switzerland. Um, I I do think that they're you know very well set out. I do think that they've got. A couple of individual, you know, players of real quality. Um, I, I've been really impressed by Jacques in midfield, um, but I mean, I think there's quite a couple of players that haven't really impressed. I mean, first of all, the the the, the forward position, uh, Mbolo, who's obviously highly rated. He hasn't. I don't think he's made you know a great amount of impact. That's only because probably he's only had one starting game. Seferovic has been, I think, awful. Shakiri has not been on. Um, for the for the three games, um, I, I just think Switzerland have, I think the defense and you know they've done well to nullify um, the opposition, but up front I just don't see the create creativity and I you know I think they they will just you know kind of return to the, the you know the sort they're the sort of team that you know do well in a group stage, sneak qualification through dogged display and then come what may in the knockout stages they'll kind of just you know slowly exit the competition um, and you, you, they, you know that happened in, the, in the, the previous World Cup where they I think they lost to Argentina was it it's kind of the same thing I, don't, I, I just don't think they have enough really left in the tank you know there's only so much defensive displays can get you um, and I think that's a real challenge for Petkovic um, to try and you know get Shakiri and you know the creative side of the team you know try and get it up again and see you know how far they can go well, it looks like since the, the games are finished, obviously, this is the one game that we know of the next round now. So the runner-up of Group A, obviously, Switzerland, will be playing Poland, who finished second in Group C. Jonathan, is that kind of the game that Poland will be relishing, facing someone like Switzerland in the next round? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, I wouldn't say Poland have a fantastically strong defence, but they're not weak there either. Uh, you know, with someone like Lewandowski going forward, uh, you know, I think that they will fancy that they can get a goal uh, against this Swiss side. Uh, like Mo said, uh, you know, it is. Uh, you know, Switzerland are very well organised. Um, I don't see it being a high-scoring encounter, but I do think. You know, I think this Poland side. Um, I was th I was thinking earlier when I saw the when I saw the result and the way that they performed in this this group stage. You know, it's kind of better. Better four years late than never, um, because they, you know, they really bombed uh, on home soil in the last Euro. But they've been much, much better this time around. It seems like the team's matured a little bit more. Uh, you know, it, it's more than just sort of, uh, you know, Robert Lewandowski um, against the world now, as it were. As it were. So I, I, I think that Poland will be happy with that draw. Um, I think that Switzerland will feel as well that they have a good chance of, uh, of winning and going through to the next round. But I. For me, I think that Poland uh, are the favourites so far. I've been more impressed with them, uh, and I think that they have more goals in them, crucially, uh, than uh, than Switzerland. I think Switzerland's best chance is probably keeping it goalless all the way through to penalties and then winning that. 
and a major positive for that Poland side is they've yet to concede as well. So that 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 solid base at least, and while they've not got a firing with Milik and Lewandowski, they've got plenty in reserve. Let's yeah, just just, just um, I just finished watching the second half against Ukraine, and and you would think that with Lewandowski and Milik, uh, and with uh, uh Kowski and with um, uh, Krzysztof Jagłosicki and all that, they would actually push for a second goal, but they didn't. They they look extremely negative, and honestly, one of the best defenses uh, at the tournament. I mean, they they, they have been great defenses, uh, including Albania, uh, at which I, I reckon are much more organised than Romania were, much more more organised than Romania were, um, and uh, not wasn't entirely surprised at them beating Romania. But Poland have an extremely good uh, good defence. We'll, we'll talk about Germany probably later on, but. Uh, don't don't think it's that it's uh, it's that hard to notify Germany when they're not playing with a with a um, a real number nine. But the point is, I, I find I find Poland to be extremely unadventurous, and I don't see many goals in that one. I actually find actually reckon that this will end up on penalties, and one of many uh, knockout stage game to end on penalties. That at least is entertainment. But you've you've briefly mentioned there the Albania Romania game yeah. and, and and what a fantastic result for Albania. I mean, there's a moment in the first half when Linjani misses an open net. You think it might be a one of those gut punches, uh, Eric. But what a fantastic moment in their history to get that win. And feasibly, if 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 think results go their way, I mean, the uh, Republic of Ireland Sweden group doesn't look like there might be a third place from that, and it could still be only two points for some teams in Group F. They've got a lift, the glimmer of hope that they could reach the next round now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, Albania performed really well. It, you know, the things did not look good for them, you know, with, with the dismissal of Sana for the second game, but um, they, they really uh, showed their mettle, and I think, I think, you know, fully deserve this. They're a, hard, a team of hardworking individuals who, you know, are, play a tactically rigid, rigid system and um, show show throughout qualifying that they're, you know, again, especially in knockout football, that that they're going to be a hard opponent for anybody. Um, and you know, it, all it takes is the uh, the odd moment um, for for a match to turn. And you know, we've seen several surprise results already in this competition. And I, you know, I have no doubt that uh, Albania can 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 rise to that. I mean. You know, there's not just there's not just for Albania as a country. There's not just the history of, of this being in a tournament. But there's, you know, everything that's gone on with that with that country in terms of in terms of uh, you know war and violence over the past few years. That this, you know, I think for for this country more than any others, that a lot of these players are carrying uh, with them, you know, an immense amount of of, of national pride and and uh, you know, I think that that could manifest itself in, you know. A, uh, you know, frankly, heroic performance. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit cliched to say, but um, I don't think that we should underestimate, you know, the the, the confidence and the energy that that's going to be giving them, and, and the way that they're that they've played, and the way that they've uh, that their fans have, <clears throat> pardon me, responded to to the team's performances as well. Yeah, they they've been fantastic. But let's move on to Group B that finished last night, and I'll start with the team that impressed really impressed in this tournament so far, and that's Wales, Mo. Um, they got a 3-0 victory against Russia. Really absolutely tore them apart at moments. And it's another side that they may be minnows, but you, I, I wouldn't want to take Wales on in the next round if I was... I think they have to face either a third place of a Group A, Group C, or Group D. But it's not a team I'd fancy taking on. No, they're pretty unpredictable. They've got, you know... I think they've got quality every side, of the, you know, every section of the pitch as well. You've got Bale... Um, in in the forward role, um, you know Ramsey behind him, Allen I think has proved to be you know a really really underrated player in this tournament. He's 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 done really really well in the three group games, and the defense is so compact as well. You know they've they've really impressed uh, the whole continent with uh, their football, and I think it was pretty unfortunate they did lose to England as much as I. <laughs> you know hate to accept that, but I think you know they did deserve at least a draw and. If, um, you know they they are pretty dogged as well. It's not just about they're kind of like the Leicester City as well. I mean, so many teams can claim to be the Leicester City of the European Championship, but they've they've really really done well considering you know they faced better opposition in at least two of the three games. You know, Russia they've been really really poor, but I would have expected on paper that that Russia team would uh, see off the challenge of Wales before the tournament. But I think they can go. I think they can go. 
along with now they've got a favourable draw as well. Uh, pretty much, if 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 the the third place results go their way, uh, and then the possible quarterfinal, you know, finishing top of Group B would be would have been a real coup for them. Um, quarterfinalists, I think, is a real real aim, and they'll do very very well to achieve that. Yeah, and and talking about Wales, Russia, and Philip, it, it was <laughs> tactically. I think from Chris Coleman, we've mentioned they used the three-five-two with well, the actually, Nathan. Um, I haven't been able to watch Wales at all. That's fair. So I'd, I'd rather you ask a question that's, to someone else. That's <laughs> right. Then I will answer the question because where, tactically, I think Chris Coleman has to be applauded for nailing it tactically. I mean, the three centre backs that he's used, Williams obviously in that Lynch point, and using the likes of Ben Davies who cleared that shot off the line against uh, Slovakia in the first couple of moments an actual crucial moment they will they will admit in their tournament so far it's been it's been really fantastic to watch them play not overly defensive football except from that second half especially against England where they they were hammered in and they couldn't quite get the ball out they were breathtaking at times against Russia it looked like every time they went forward they were going to score uh, and uh, while Russia have been a little very disappointing although they've had a number of injuries Absolutely terrific tactically, but let's move on to the more disappointing result of that game yesterday, and that was England's draw against Slovakia, Jonathan. Um, England just couldn't work out how to break the tough Slovakian 11 in the box down, could they? No, they couldn't. Uh, you know, I found it a really tedious match to watch, uh, one of the worst in the tournament, in fact. Um, I think England had a couple of uh, decent opportunities early on, but after that, you know, it really petered out. Uh, you know, I think Slovakia were happy to, to settle for the draw. Um, and w with England, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt that they do have the talent, uh, you know, to, to go a bit deeper in this tournament, uh, you know, perhaps to get to the, the quarterfinals, maybe even uh, all the way to the semis, but... Uh, you know, I think that Roy Hodgson seems to, you know, a bit, bit like Deschamps, not know his uh, not know his strongest eleven and make some bizarre tactical decisions at times. Uh, and I, I I do think that the defence is still, uh, you know, a little questionable as well. And uh, for me, even though there are plenty of goal threats in that team, uh, there just don't seem to be that. You know, there doesn't seem to be anyone sort of uh, finishing. Uh, consistently enough uh, in order to, to fire England that much further uh, in this tournament. You know, you look at the chance that Jamie Vardy had um, last night, and you know, you really would expect him to be uh, to be putting those away. Good save, but uh, you know, as a as a striker sure, played in and played in in that position, you know, he really should have been should have been putting it away. So I mean, I haven't been overly impressed um, with England. You know, I thought that they uh, they did well to fight uh, in order to beat Wales, but I don't think that they particularly uh, merited it, and uh, you know they were, they were disappointing against Russia. Yeah, they took the lead late on, but you know to throw it away in the way that they did uh, was was very poor. And I don't think that that there there should be many teams um, you know that fear England going into the latter stages. To be to be quite honest with you, Philip, are they being too negative tactically? I mean, both Wales and Slovakia scored two and three goals against Russia and England only managed the one from a set piece they got two possibly lucky goals you might say against Wales especially the late one and is Roy Hodgson holding some of these attacking players back a little? Well a lot of, uh, of debate is going on about uh, first of all uh, does Roy Hodgson uh, knew, how to, uh, knew what formation he was, uh, he was going to play uh, months before the tournament? The answer is obviously no because he played a 4-4-2 with a, di a diamond shape 4-4-2 so 4-1-2-1-2 if you will uh, in all three friendlies and, uh, and then come the, uh, come the opening game he reverts back to 4-3-3. It really looks like he's trying to put one on pegs in square holes. Um, as a way of trying to accommodate uh, Vardy, Rooney, uh, to uh, um, Sterling as well. Sterling has been absolutely abysmal, um, and um, I, I think it's it's a shame that he didn't he didn't stick with his uh, his plan. Which I, I think it's his plan if he has one uh, is uh, to uh, put Kane, who will tie the defense, the defenses, and then bring on Vardy with his uh, with his pace. Problem is, you know, against Slovakia, I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, I thought uh, the, wor the worst game of the tournament was Germany-Poland. But if you put 10 players behind the ball, you're going to struggle to score. Yeah. And fans, fans know that. I mean, uh, Germany struggled against Poland. Germany actually didn't achieve. Fans struggled against Romania and Albania. Maybe Romania were a bit more adventurous. 
But if you're going to do that, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, even I, I actually thought that Spain, who uh, emphatically won against Turkey, actually struggled to create openings against uh, Turkey, who def who started the game defending very very well. So you know, I think we're being we're being quite harsh on England because it, it's not easy. It's just, it really is not easy. And maybe it was the only thing I could I could actually uh, criticise Hodgson for is making the, the substitutions. Uh, too late. I, I reckon Harry Kane should have been uh, should have been uh, on the pitch for at least 45 minutes last night because mm. uh, the the only plan to get a goal was to put the ball in the box, a la Stoke City, and uh, and hopefully someone will win uh, will win a header. But uh, England started to do that probably at the 85th minute, and it was too late, wasn't it? Really? And it was too late. Was too and, late. Uh, and now Wales now Wales are going to uh, Wales have won the group, and England uh, lost an opportunity of. Uh, Oh, you know, a safe passage because they would have faced uh, someone like Belgium in uh, in the quarterfinals. But now we've got this uh, wonderful, daunting uh, task of France versus England, <laughs> which will, which will be fun on this podcast at least. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> we, we we do mention it this time, Jonathan. You're having to leave us, so thank you for joining us again, and and hopefully we'll see you next week. He might have already gone. <laughs> he might have rushed off. That's all right. Well, thank you for thank you for him for joining us. And Eric, just to to very bookend this sort of Group B chat, um, England made six changes to start that game. Was that a, a that's a real risk, isn't it? But for a game that you still need to win, really. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think there have been some positives to take from this England team. I think that the fullbacks uh, have played well, all four of them. Uh, I think Eric Dyer has been magnificent. Um, I think Wayne Rooney uh, played well at, uh, in that first match, especially. But um, Hudson just seems to have a, a, a real problem putting this putting the attack together in a way that makes sense. Um, and you know, the problem is he has just too many players who are you know out and out strikers. I mean, in Sturridge, Vardy, and Kane and Rashford. I mean, none of them really have a natural role in a wide area. Um, but then. You know, in the absence of of a natural playmaker, he's also you know missing somebody who can play in them, play strictly as a number ten. I mean, you know, Lallana, Wilshire, Barkley, they're they're players who can sort of do that, but you know, and Deli Alley sort of, but it, I'm not really sure what he, what he can necessarily do. I mean, that the hit and hope strategy, you know, which is you know so dourly English, to to play, you know play a, a, a ball for a big striker in the box, you know, we'd like to see, we'd like to think that England's advanced from this, but the fact of the matter is that it, without without the sort of players to move beyond that uh, in the midfield, um, that is going to have to be the way that, that Hodgson approaches things. Yeah, and just to, to bookend that one, it's almost been, as Man United fan, it's been like watching Man United, watching England. It's a torturous season of teams that can't quite create anything other than shots from outside the box. But we'll move on to the Group C that finished earlier today. And th th we've mentioned Poland already, so we'll talk about Germany, Mo. And they got another solid 1-0 win that they probably should have got a lot more from against Northern Ireland. But they've never quite hit full gear as we've expected them to yet, have they? No, I don't think, yeah, they haven't really hit, hit the heights yet. Um, and that's kind of to be expected. Um, I think Germany are a solid team when it comes to the knockout stages. You know, you, you can you can never best the Germans when there's only one match on the line. Um, but I would, again, thought that against the likes of Northern Ireland and Ukraine, they would have, you know... I mean, they did create, they did, you know, they, they did see chances come their way, but they haven't, you know, no one's really impressed in that side. I mean, we've, we've got a few stand-up players in some of the big teams, um, Payet for France. Uh, for England, I'd, I'd say Walker's been um, a kind of a revelation uh, in, in the side. But for Germany, I, I, just, I just can't see that. Um, uh, but that's not to say, you know, they are improving as the games go on. And you, I, I would, you know, if you, if you do put a France against a Germany or a Germany against an England... Um, I would always back the Germans. Um, they they do know how to unlock defenses, where you know in tight situations. Um, and it's it's a bit of a mystery. Maybe you know it's a bit of a mystery why they haven't really impressed in the group stages. They have got the results they've required. I I, I did think that against Poland, um, that was a disappointing um, uh, for for Lowe and his side, but. 
I, I you know don't think there's any alarm bells ringing from that performance. It was it was a solid defensive performance. Perhaps you know one or two players should have taken the chances that came their way. Obviously Poland with Milik had had a gaping chance of their own. Um, but you know against Ukraine and against Northern Ireland they have they have been solid and they've what what they have been kind of victim to this theme of the tournament where they're playing against sides that are more defensive in nature and it can be real tricky to to you know find a way past these teams but I I I would I would say that in the knockout stages that's when the real Euros you know the 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 finals the real finals begin and I think Germany would be one of the you know I think the favourite, if not the you know, the overwhelming favourites, you know, take take the whole prize. But I think, yeah, in the quarterfinal you and onwards, you'd see a different Germany to one that's kind of crawled their way past the three games. I want to talk about that defensive line really as well, uh, Philip. It, they have they have two excellent centre backs in in Jerome Boateng and Matt Hummels will be playing together next season for Bayern Munich, which is a scary thought. Yes. Is there a better centre-back pairing in Europe? Um, I don't uh, know. I haven't. Uh, I don't. I don't really think so. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think Wemmy and uh, Wemmy and Kachani mm-hmm. are are quite uh, quite up there. They haven't been tested though. This is uh, this is the big uh, the big uh, thing. Well. Ukraine actually played very well at a, towards the end of the first half uh, against Germany, and Neuer pulled out a couple of uh, world-class saves. But Hummels was not playing; it was um, Shukran Mustafi. I'm not quite sure, not quite sure how good he is for for Valencia, but he still gets to play. Uh, so he is he is a world champion due to being in the squad two years ago. One thing I've, I've been saying for the last two years, and uh, something that I just find. Uh, very worrying for the future, not for, just not just for the future of Germany, is a lack of uh, actual um, natural centre forward for Germany since Klose retired. And Klose has been very good for a very very long time, extremely reliable. Um, and uh, now Germany only have Gomez, and and you know, not unsurprisingly, they play much better with a with an actual um, with a natural uh, centre forward. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be too too alarmist about that. But uh, I reckon, with us having Giroud, Germany have um, Gomez, who's uh, old. Um, Spain have Morata. I mean, I I reckon that uh, the natural centre forwards are are starting to become a, a dying a dying breed. I mean, it's it, it's really starting to look uh, very scary. How mediocre. The uh, the attacking intent in that tournament is 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 really uh, I really don't see much attacking uh, talent coming through the ranks either for Germany for for Spain for France um, actually it's a good thing England got uh, got Jamie Vardy because that's uh, that's sorted for a couple of years and Harry Kane as well but you know and I am actually quite you don't see much attacking talent coming through for Germany that's remember Marco Royce is in, ter- in terms of uh, centre forwards no. Natural centre forwards. Oh, the rest, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, of course, uh, with with all the Borussia Dortmund uh, academy and all that. I mean, uh, of course, yeah, the great centre great centre backs, great wingers, uh, and uh, they keep and they keep buying our best players like uh, Dembele. But um, in natural nines, I mean, natural nines, uh, and and teams do need uh, someone like that. I mean, Giro is criticised, but he is he is very very important to the uh, balance of of the French squad, just like Gomez is important to the balance of the Germany squad. So I'm actually quite worried. Uh, just to sort of bookend this group talk, Eric, we'll mention. Northern Ireland, who are probably likely to get that third spot now. It, it, it still depends on a couple of results, but officially a draw between Turkey and, Ch- and the Czech Republic tonight or a Turkey win that's less than four goals will absolutely guarantee them that third place. It's a great result for such a small nation with not the greatest quality on the pitch, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you know Northern Ireland are full, are full of surprises. Uh, you know, we, look, we look at the likes of Aaron Hughes coming out Back from the wilderness, uh, a fantastic display from the team today, and 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 against Ukraine as well. I think that you know, much like Albania, that the way that this team has has demonstrated they can keep out uh, opponents of the very highest quality will make teams 
you know, make even the biggest opposition a little bit nervous. I mean, we've seen this time and time again in this tournament that these so-called minnows or smaller nations um, are, are, are able to really have a, a, a set tactical plan and, you know, in knockout competition that, again, these are teams that nobody wants to face. You know, I think that, that this is the thing, is that the fact that this turn... I, I understand the frustration uh, that's been expressed in a lot of quarters about uh, taking this group stage to winnow 24 teams to 16, but the fact of the matter is, you know, as, as excited as people have been about these smaller nations qualifying, now to see them really play meaningful matches in this upcoming round of 16 uh, is only going to add another level of excitement and another level of interest to this tournament. And I, I think that, you know, for the casual observer, you know, yeah, there's been some disappointment so far in the tournament. I think, you know, Russia in particular stands out, um, England to some degree, even though they, they, did, they did progress. Um, but I think that there's much more to be excited about from a neutral standpoint in, in terms of how these smaller teams can, can continue to create surprises. And I think that Northern Ireland are, are, are probably, for me, uh, the apotheosis of that, uh, particularly in the way that they played today, was absolutely outstanding. Um, and and that they've shown, you know, also a willingness uh, to 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 take some calculated risks, and and they paid off. So, you know, and that and that's exciting as well. That that, that um, Michael O'Neill can can change his team so willingly and 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 have it come off. I mean, you know, there's ah, to be fair an element of luck to that, but uh, I think by and large, yeah, Northern Ireland, you know, were it not for the likes of Iceland, would probably be the the, the story of this tournament. In terms of underdogs. Yeah, let's move on to our final section for the, the last part of this podcast, and that's our who's impressing and depressing us at the European Championships. I'll start with you, Mo. It can be a team or a player, so who's been impressing you? I'd like to say Will Grigg, um, but he has had a kick of the tournament. Um, I, I'm going to go for Albania. and I think that considering... You can you can rank them as the weakest side in the tournament, probably the one they no one expected first to qualify for the tournament. But in those three games that they've played in Group A, they've done themselves really really proud. You know they've got their first win and the first goal of the tournament. Obviously, it's a very historical moment for them. But against three sides that are markedly better, you know Romania played in I think two European Championships prior to this, um, where they've beaten England and they were they did reasonably well in the. Um, in a group with uh, Holland, France, and Italy in 2008, you know they are they have they, you know, they they do know tournament football, um, and they've done previously well. And obviously Switzerland and France as you know mainstays uh, in major tournaments as well. But they've done superbly. This team that you know we've seen Leniani in France play. He's not obviously setting the world alight um, in Liga. Um, and Lorik San is obviously well past it. Sadiku up front, he's, he's not, you know, he, he's not doing overly well in the Swiss league either. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I feel rude to say it's a team of misfits, but it's a team that's not high on individual quality. But the fact that they've really come through these three group games and they have probably been the better side in at least two of them as well. Um, against Switzerland in the first game, under 10 men, you know, they did well not only to limit the Swiss to one goal, but they they could have and probably should have at least taken a point from that, you know, various missed chances. And um, against France, it was only a late, late goal um, from Griezmann and Pae, just, you know, two lapses in concentration that undid them in stoppage time, which is really unfortunate. And against uh, Romania, where they knew what they had to do, they did cut, they did it very, very well, and they were so resolute. And the fact that after all of this, they do have a glimmer to qualify as well, which would be the ultimate achievement for them. And I think that no matter what happens in the rest of the tournament, you know, you do have Iceland, Hungary, and Group F also on the cast. Northern Ireland's obviously a fantastic story, and Wales. The fact that Albania have had the longest journey um, to get here as well, and they've really, really impressed. It's you know one of the stories of the tournament for me. Philip, who's impressed you? Um, basically, uh, uh, every minnow's in uh, in the group, uh, so uh, one per group. I was very uh, impressed by Albania uh, as a manager, how he can uh, make uh, mediocre players play a uh, rigid formation, basically outplay uh, um, a team with uh, with good players like uh, like France. 
Um, Slovakia have been uh, have been pretty decent um, in uh, in in Group B, I thought. Um, Group F has been uh, has been great has been great with uh, with Iceland, but it's it yeah it's always it's always because uh, the side is extremely organised and and all the all the fans coming in, uh, f and you know it's it's like it's like they're like living a dream. I mean all the Icelandic fans and the Hungarian fans in Marseille, uh, you know just just being there must be it must be great for them, and uh, you know it's it is quite it is quite tight. Oh, the side uh, uh, I'm quite depressed about, I would say, uh, Portugal it hasn't uh, gone uh, gone down very well, but it has been going on for for years. I mean, that generation is just uh, just not uh, not good enough. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, really should have scored, really should have scored that uh, that penalty. I've actually been a bit underwhelmed by Belgium. Um, I was at the game on, uh, against Ireland. I thought uh, they really do need um, a lot of uh, possession uh, to uh, to actually score a goal. I've not really been impressed by either De Bruyne or Hazard, and uh, I believe they got this emphatic 3 0 win thanks to Lukaku delivering. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't particularly impressed by uh, Hazard or, or De Bruyne, but uh, was by was by Lukaku. But I think this will change. I think Belgium will will become a, a major a major contender um, later on, and. Um, could could actually probably win the whole thing, but uh, they need they, they really do need to uh, to improve. They do need, do need to improve. Eric, who have you got? Uh, I I think you know I've I mentioned him I think that every uh, on both shows so far. Uh, Andre Siniesta. I mean again, this player's been in the shadows for so long, uh, both in terms of his his club career and 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 in terms of his teammates and for Spain as well. But I think that now he's showing that he's you know he is. One of the best players in the world. I mean, we, you know, we know this, right? He plays for Barcelona, but the way that that team functions, we're so focused on their forward line that uh, how just how incredible of a player he is, um, I, I think, really gets really flies under the radar. And he's just had, you know, a really fantastic pair of matches and continues to impress for me. Um, Aaron Ramsey, I w I'd like to mention as well. I think that right now he's back at back showing the kind of form that he he played he displayed uh, with Arsenal 2 years ago the 2014-15 season that is uh, as being you know if not a world class player certainly a very exceptional player uh, who's able to to whose performances are able to stand on the pitch you know alongside uh, the best in Europe I, and I think that you know he and Joe Allen in particular have really given Wales hope of not not only you know advancing to the past the group stages which was somewhat of a surprise, but in first place and, and showing that there's just a lot of multidimensionality to this team. Uh, disappointments, yeah, I'd have to agree with Portugal. I mean, I think that, you know, the petulancy of Ronaldo is really, really getting old. I mean, I think that, you know, much like, you know, we've seen, we've seen uh, you know, a, a bit of a, a more humbled approach from the likes of, say, Wayne Rooney, for example, playing a different role uh, for the good of this team. I think that I think that Portugal could do with, do with a bit of that for Ronaldo. I mean, let's face it, these players have, you know, I mean, besides the amount of success Ronaldo's have with their club career, they're of a similar age. They've they came out, you know, burst onto the scene at the same tournament 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, we see Rooney being willing to play a different role. And we see Ronaldo, you know, being the same petulant git that he's he's been the whole time. I mean, at, at some point, you've got to show maturity. And the thing is, with this Portugal team, there are so many exciting young players, and we've talked about them. Uh, Gomes, Danilo, uh, Rafael Guerrero. There are a lot of exciting pieces to this Portugal team, and I think that they could be, uh, you know, one of the surprise stories. The talent is there for Portugal to be one of the surprises of this tournament. Um, but because because of the way certain individuals um, feel they need to act, I think that, they, that that potential success is really being undermined. Guerrero has actually had a great tournament so far. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and, and I still can't decide why they've not tried Renato Sanchez for longer than the 20 minutes they gave him in the first game, but never mind swings and roundabouts. Mo, Mo who, who's just to bookend this, who's disappointed you? Uh, well, I'll take our guys for Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Um, he's, he's, he's not looked great in the in the two games so far, I thought his comment against uh, against Iceland was very petulant. Um, not what you'd expect, you know, given that they've they watched um, 
just managed to achieve the, the greatest result in the national team history. And then against, you know, against Austria, you'd expect you know, Ronaldo time, you know, to, to lead his country into the knockout stage. Portugal as a whole, I thought, were very average in that game, despite the chances that, come, that came their way. But I, I, I agree with Eric, you know, the fact that they do have a really interesting squad, but because of, you know, you have to, you know, everything has to come through Ronaldo. He's the focal point of the team, etc. You know, it, it it kind of you know stifles the creativity of other players. It kind of you know they they you kind of get the feeling that they shouldn't be. They're not where they should be. And you know, is Ronaldo on the wane? Probably. You know, against against Austria, you know, even the penalty, it, it just didn't happen. Nothing would come. Nothing would come his way, and it's a bit annoying the fact that you know Portugal do have a really really good team on paper with or with without with or with without Ronaldo. Um, he wasn't. He was never really all that with with Portugal. I mean, I don't yeah. remember a tournament where he's actually played very very well. Absolutely. I mean, against in 2012 as well, the same. You could also say the same. He, One nil to Spain. Oh, who scored? <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, maybe it's offside. No, it isn't. It's not yeah. offside. It stands Fabregas. That's a signal ready to leave, isn't it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo for my disappointed play of the tournament so far. Yeah, I, I, just very quickly, I would agree with Eric. Uh, Iniesta has been fantastic. Italy mm. have been surprising as well and, and excellent in that first game, especially. Disappointments. Russia were abysmal, but they've lost a lot of players to injury. And the Turkish had a lot of promise. They had a lot of interesting attacking players. They've barely used any of them and they've been rubbish. Yeah. Um, that's all for this week. Uh, my thanks to Mo. Follow him on Twitter at Mohammed underscore Ali. Thanks to Eric, Philip, and for Jonathan for joining us earlier as well. Thank you to everyone listening at home. And I enjoy, hope you enjoy the feast of football ahead and we'll get back to watching some of the games. Uh, Abianto and goodbye. <laughs>